Good afternoon and welcome to Bookends, a virtual book club where you can listen to conversations with featured authors and then dialogue with them in a discussion group on LinkedIn. This year on Bookends, we are featuring books that have the power to transform. Earlier on this program, we visited with Robert Jacobs, author of Real-Time Strategic Change, and also Diane Whitney, the author of The Power of Appreciative Inquiry. Today, we will explore another powerful way to facilitate organizational change while harnessing the power of conversation as we visit with David Isaacs, the author of The World Cafe, Shaping Our Futures Through Conversations That Matter. David has co-authored this book with Juanita Brown and The World Cafe Community. Following our interview today, you are invited to log into LinkedIn search groups, and then join the group called Bookends, the discussion. Here you can pose questions and discuss issues with your peers. You can dialogue with our Bookends featured authors who are members of this group. You will also find a link to a recording of today's interview as well as previous interviews. Invite your friends to join the group and listen and discuss with you. I'm your host, Susan Stamm, and I'd like to introduce David Isaacs, who is the president of Clearing Communications, an organizational and communication strategy company working with senior executives in the United States and abroad. He has collaborated with a wide range of corporate clients, including Alpha Graphics, Hewlett Packard, Intel, Kraft, Scandinavian Airlines, and Sanofi. David's not-for-profit work has included hosting World Cafe Dialogues with the Institute of Noetic Sciences, Shambhala Institute, Society for Organizational Learning, and Alliances for Transforming the Lives of Children. David has served as adjunct faculty at the California Institute for Integral Studies, St. Mary's College of California, and the University of Texas at San Antonio Business School's Executive MBA program. David lives with Juanita Brown, his partner in life and work, in Tomales Bay, California. I'd like to encourage our listening audience to get a copy of The World Cafe or to connect personally with David Isaacs after our interview today to learn more about uh, his work or securing his services. You can visit the website www.theworldcafe.com. David, welcome to Bookends. It's great to be with you today. Thank you, Susan. It's it's good to be here with you. We've uh, been long followers of your work, and I'm certainly looking forward to having this time to visit with you today. And um, I was really pleased that the foreword of your book was written by Margaret Wheatley, someone that I also greatly admire. And in, in the foreword of the book, she says that the World Cafe reintroduces us to a world that we have forgotten. Do you agree with her? And if so, how did we forget? <laughs> well, I remember the conversation uh, that Meg and I had about that. Uh, she was really struck when I, I indicated to her that I, I really believe that people already know how to have conversations around their most important questions, as do organizations. Um, that that the humans have had the capability. Our ancestors have had the capability for millennia, and that uh, the capability to design and convene and participate in conversations having to do with how we, how our ancestors would survive the night and survive uh, uh, infinite numbers of, of challenges, uh, they needed to be uh, capable of having conversations around questions having to do with survival. And only we believe that only those uh, people who had that capability would actually survive without it. So I have the sense, we have the sense that it's a survival gene, the capability to design, convene, and host conversations around our questions, really the ones that, that have to do with survival and ultimately thrivable, uh, thriving. Uh, the, the forgetting... I really, we really don't believe that it's forgotten, that because of uh, cultural influences and business and organizational influences, uh, the capability gets pushed into the, into the background, and we tend to focus more on problem solving and um, on other things other than the 
bringing out of unconsciousness this capability to be in conversation. So the remembering is is moving from uh, the idea of a unconscious capability to a conscious one. And the way we remember, the, and the way we remember how to have conversations around our most important questions is to sit together in, in, in the round, in small groups, and move from, from round, round, small round groups to another small group, and taking what we learn from one conversation to another. So that remembering goes on um, and can go on if you create an environment of mutual trust and respect for which that, uh, in which that can happen. And the World Cafe is, is one wonderful way in which that is supported, that remember. Yeah, and I, I would tend to agree, um, you know, that, that, that we've forgotten as well. If, you know, if you trace uh, the history of the human beings, you know, all the way back to the days where we were hunting and gathering, you can kind of visualize people sitting around in circles and having discussions. And I just think about, you know, the short period of time that I've been alive, thinking from my childhood to today. It just seems that time seems to get in the way from people really connecting with each other, um, that we really do need uh, a process to help us remember. Yes. So, so, so to create a context for our listeners as we get into this a little bit more, uh, David, um, it's, I'm sure that there are people that are not familiar with World Cafe. Could you help paint us a picture of what a cafe is and just exactly what is it that a, a World Cafe does? Well, World Cafe is, is really, as a process, is really a very simple way of inviting people to sit in small tables, uh, 36 to 40 inch round tables, in groups of four, uh, to, talk, to, to convene a conversation to talk about what that group of people, be it an organization, a community, a business, a government group, uh, what what questions that it really wants to engage and and to really think together about uh, about possibilities? Uh, the World Cafe can be used for problem solving, but it's and it's best used for seeking infinite and, and new possibilities. But the way it works is um, through a, a process of design with the organization that is sponsoring the World Cafe, be it a community. Uh, or business, whatever, uh, is to um, identify what it is the group wants to learn. What is it interested in? What does it care about? What is it that um, they don't know individually but deeply believe that there's knowledge and wisdom in the community? So by posing a question to a a group of four, actually the World Cafe has no limit to scale. It's small group dialogue that can be multiplied by hundreds of, of tables. There have been cafes that have been over 2,000 uh, people in size. Mm-hmm. So uh, after one round of conversation at the table around a question that matters to the group, uh, the, the group each group selects a host uh, who will stay there for the second round, and three people move to three other tables. Uh, where they are greeted by a new host who welcomes them to the table and shares briefly what happened in the first round and asks the other three people to share briefly what happened at their tables, listening together for commonality, for new insights, for new questions. And at that point, we can either add another question or continue to go deeper on the first question. Uh, So that would be the second round. We like to have three rounds at a minimum of conversation to maximize the cross-pollinization of of knowledge and experience. At the end of the second round, we encourage uh, a a new person to become the host for the third round so everyone gets to move. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you have the third round of conversation after that move move of approximately 20 to 25 minutes. Each round tends to be between 20 and 30 minutes. And after which, uh, we go into a plenary session uh, and invite uh, people to stand and to speak uh, not for themselves, but for what they believe we are learning, what the community is learning. So it starts with the assumption that, that there is a collective capability or knowledge in every group of people, and that uh, if we embrace that possibility, it very often shows up. 
So at the end of the, as I mentioned, at the end of those three rounds, people uh, from around the room share uh, what they've learned, what, uh, what new, new possibilities exist, what challenges, what questions. And we very often harvest that, uh, that, uh, ref those reflections uh, with a reflective graphics professional and graphic recorder who will uh, draw on a, on a board all everything that he or she has heard and so that there's a record of the collective intelligence or knowledge that's present in the group and then very often that is digitized and shared with the, the community that's present or even across an organization. Yeah. So that's generally the, the outline of how World Cafe works. It, again, a focus is on uh, cross-pollination of, of, of knowledge. There's a, a belief that the, the larger the group, the more diversity there is. And so the more diverse uh, knowledge and experience uh, contributes to the most significant uh, collective knowledge creation uh, that happens at the cafe. That's a powerful process. Uh, I've had the chance to experience it firsthand. That, uh, you know, such a high-touch uh, kind of meeting, uh, meeting, and a way to, um, you know, really tap into that collective uh, consciousness and uh, brain trust, uh, you know, from a group of really diverse people. It's really amazing how it works, and we'll be talking a lot more about that uh, in just a little bit. Uh, before we start to get into some of that, um, your your partner Juanita Brown, um, who unfortunately is is not able to be uh, join us today, I, I was really intrigued uh, by in in the book the story of her early life and some of her experiences, which seemed to you know perhaps uh, position her uh, in the direction, although I'm sure you know she was unaware of it in her very early life and her her experiences as a young adult even um, how these things were pointing her in the, the potential direction of the world cafe which of course did not exist yet could you talk a little bit about that and and some of the experiences that she had to seem to be so in alignment with the the concept and philosophy of the cafe sure um i hope i can do Juanita justice um uh, she she can probably tell the story a lot better than I can. But Juanita was um, in the night in the middle 1960s was uh, was a uh, instrumental part of a United Farm Workers um, a great boycott and lettuce boycott and uh, that that occurred in 1966 and 1967. She was a, a close associate with Cesar Chavez. Uh, who was the leader of the of the farm workers, uh, and very often his translator, uh, as she's bilingual. Uh, he's bilingual as well, but, but he, he mostly spoke to groups in Spanish. Um, but the the success, what, what Juanita learned in, in the farm workers is that uh, even mostly illiterate, uh, uneducated um, farm workers. Uh, uh, imported farm workers, uh, stoop labor people who were coming to harvest the grapes uh, in California in the 60s and, and suffering very difficult uh, environmental and physical and emotional and psychological um, barriers to, to being, um, to living a full life. Uh, the farm workers uh, organized and um, and against all odds, uh, was able to become a uh, a, a, a union um, that organized for the sake of, of the farm workers' people. Uh, in the process, uh, Juanita learned that um, that the way that the farm workers were successful is through something called house meetings, and uh, they would gather people in in local homes where wherever they were working, and they would talk about uh, how they could how they could advance uh, their their uh, capability, uh, particularly with the boycotts, to encourage people all over the country and even into Canada and un and other countries to stop eating grapes. Mm -hmm. uh, and from a very small area in in California, with people very often who did not speak the same language, there were Chinese and Filipinos and and uh, Latino uh, workers who found, who found a way by meeting together and talking about what's possible, uh, they were able to, um, 
to generate a, a revolution in, in, in uh, labor organizing and labor success uh, that that was that enabled um, agreements with uh, with some large grape growers um, between the, the union and the grape growers to um, to make changes in the in the labor relations that they had with the people, including better housing, uh, better wages. Uh, the battle continues uh, even to this day, but one needed to learn that uh, through house meetings that people can organize to take actions to take action around issues and questions that matter to them. It's a basis of caring and the basis of, of thoughtful organizing. They used the uh, the nonviolent but uh, but advocacy approach of the of uh, the Saul Alinsky type of, of community organizing. Mm -hmm. um, it was, as I said, it was it was adversarial, but not but a committed Gandhian type of nonviolence uh, that they were they were committed to, even even when violence was uh, presented to them. And so I think that's that's in general uh, the, the belief that that humans uh, under certain conditions can organize to take action on important issues. And, when you uh, that was very formative for her. Yeah, and it's it's kind of really powerful in light of the fact that we're talking about the '60s, you know, prior to the internet and Twitter, and you know yes. that these simple conversations were able to create a movement and. Um, the power of that. I'm, I'm sure that experience ha had a lot to do, uh, you know, with you know how all this came together, and, and it was really fascinating um, to read your account of that, uh, David, in the book, The Birth of the World Cafe. Um, you know, it, it it just all seemed to kind of come together out of a complete set of circumstances that you were all thrust into one day when you had to hold a meeting. Could you tell us about that day and describe kind of how it all just happened magically? Well, it's hard to encapsulize in, in, in a short period of time. I'll do my best. Um, it was in the... Uh, it was in the second year of a set of conversations among, uh, in 19, uh, 1995, 1995, with some people uh, around the world in our living room um, who were interested in the uh, emerging field of intellectual capital uh, before it became uh, emerged uh, into something we, we know today as knowledge management. And um, the... Uh, one morning on the second day in the second year of this inquiry into what does it mean to lead the co-evolution of intellectual capital in organizations, the, the knowledge, how, how do you value and lead uh, the, the co-evolution of, of capability in organizations. Um, we had 24 people. Uh, we generally met in a circle. Um, and, in, and had, uh, you know, regular dialogue sessions in that circle. Um, and we start, usually started our day with coffee outside on the deck, uh, but it was raining. So uh, we moved the conversation inside, and we set up uh, uh, TV tables, two of them together, and put four plastic chairs around the, the two TV tables. So we had six groups of four. And um, I encouraged people to have their coffee in Danish uh, before we started the meeting. Well, what, what miraculously happened is people started to talk about uh, what had happened yesterday and uh, the day before and, and what they were learning. And there was, a, there was an absolute incredible buzz in the room. And we, we, we started to see, well, you know, this was really starting to, to uh, operate at a very different level of system, went deeper and farther than we ever had imagined. So what we did is we... We, uh, we had a graphic recorder with us, and we put uh, easel paper on the tables uh, with markers and uh, a little bud vase with flowers, and we encouraged people to continue the conversations. And after that, they started to go even deeper. Uh, and after about 30 or 40 minutes of that, someone, a man by the name of Charles Savage, um, who was with uh, Digital at that time, uh, digital electronics uh, raised his hand and said, I really want to know what's going on at the other tables. Why don't we leave one person here at each table as a host and move, people, move the other people to three other tables? So everybody thought that was a good idea, and we did it. We moved. 
and the, and what happened is the conversation went even deeper, and you could feel the, the almost the feel the room vibrate and levitate. The energy was palpable. Then we allowed that to go for another 20 minutes or so, and then uh, someone said, "Well, why don't we do that again? Why don't we leave another host at the table and move?" And um, so we did that, and the conversation went deeper. After that, we we moved to a put a big piece of paper in the, in the middle of the room in a circle and we moved the tables back and we asked what had happened and we recognized that we had generated a level of, of, of knowledge capability that was much larger than we had ever imagined and it was a very exciting time. Uh, in that moment, one of the conveners of the group, uh, Leif Edvinson from the Scandia Corporation in, uh, in uh, Sweden, uh, had had offered the the belief that uh, what we're learning here really should be in the in the in the public sector, really should be made available to people, and so the whole spirit of the gift of this work became uh, very central to it. And so we decided over time to name this work the World Cafe because it it represented conversations that we believe were happening in cafes or other circles all around the world, and the World Cafe set out to to connect those conversations. So it was, uh, and the book came came uh, somewhat later. But the, the, the decision to, um, to open source the work and not hold it close was very, very important because as a result, uh, the work has, has miraculously spread all over the world. Um, and we're very pleased with that. People use the World Cafe principles, which we can talk about, uh, to design their conversations, and they do that very, very effectively because they remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, such a, a spirit of abundance is, is wrapped in that whole open sourcing yes. of this, and you could have chosen to own this and, and you know, make it your own, and, and uh, I was just so struck by that. In fact, of course, the book is also a product of the World Cafe community, which is a co-author of the book along with you and Juanita. That's just so unique. Um, and I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the uniqueness um, a little further with you, if we could, because um, there are, you know, other systems and processes out there, and, and perhaps there's a place, you know, that, that each has its appropriate place and appropriate use. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about maybe what distinguishes the World Cafe. Uh, I mentioned that earlier on this program, Bookends, that we have had the opportunity to take a look at Appreciative Inquiry. We visited uh, with Diana Whitney and um, uh, Jake Jacobs um, in looking at uh, real-time strategic change, which he, of course, has developed. Um, You've mentioned the open sourcing. Certainly that is a distinguishing characteristic of World Cafe. What else about it... um, would you say makes it unique and different? Well, first, I'd like to, to mention what makes it similar. Um, the World Cafe, at its best, is an appreciative inquiry. Yes. Um, focusing on possibilities, on, on infinite possibilities for success. So we we have a very close and uh, res- very respectful connection to the people at AI, and really um, really love their work, and we've learned a lot with and from them. Um, other other modalities, organizational modalities like uh, open space and future search and, and, and council work and the art of hosting are all cousins to us. Uh, we're friends with, with all the, the leaders and many of the people in, who do that work. And they, are, they all focus on some different aspect of, 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 of co-evolving uh, collective capability. Um, the... Uh, I, it's hard to speak for other groups, particularly. But I, what I'd say about uh, about future search is that it, it, it's an, it enables large large groups of people, sort of similar to the World Cafe, to be in conversation and design the future. They, very often, they bring in a whole organization into the room uh, at one time and over a period of days develop and search and, and identify the future. The open space movement is, I find it to be a very good uh, approach to um, um, to build upon possibilities that can get uh, generated in the World Cafe or other or other means uh, to 
get people to off into small groups, in small interest groups who want to take a question or a theme and, uh, and, and suggest new action. So the, the open, open space does that very well. So the, 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 I think the, the major dis distinction with that, uh, I, I think other people might say this, but I, I, we can only speak for ourselves, with the World Cafe is that it's small group dialogue with no limit scale that we've discovered. Uh, you can have four people at a table times uh, 25 or 2,500. Um, people in Thailand have had uh, cafes of over 5,000. Uh, the Girl Scouts, the International Girl Scouts, have had, have had world cafes of over 2,000 people, of girls and parents and, 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 uh, and leaders to think about their future. So um, it's, it's, it's a judgment call as to when to use the, uh, which process, and, we, and, we, and we, we don't make our process, uh, the World Cafe, better than anyone else. So it, it's organizational uh, leaders you know, practice with different varieties on, in different forms. So there, there, with the World Cafe, there are infinite ways of doing it, uh, some which might represent uh, appreciative inquiry more, some which might represent future search or open space. So it's, um, um, they're all wonderful processes, and we, and we encourage people, you know, to use all of them. Great. Well, well a hallmark of, of the World Cafe is its belief in the power of conversation. And you've uh, already talked about this a little bit uh, today, David. Um, I'd like to read a quote that, uh, that I found in the book, which says, because we live in a world of language and in the sophisticated coordination of actions that language makes possible, we bring forth a world through networks of conversation in which we participate. And I was really struck uh, when I read that uh, statement. I think it's a, a really powerful statement and a really big idea that you're talking about here. Would you say more about this? How are we bringing forth the world? We bring forth, uh, this is really comes from the work of Umberto Matarana uh, from Chile, uh, Chile, Chilean scientist and evolutionary biologist. He believes, he's still very much alive and working in this arena all over the world, he believes that we, that we, bring, we, we create our futures or we generate future states through the way that we talk with each other, that humans live in language. Uh, we, live in, you know, we live in conversation um, around um, what we care about. Um, we, we can, it's through our, our conversation acts, through our promises, our requests, our agreements, our commitments with each other that we, that we generate uh, possibilities or do problem solving uh, in our world. But it's so close to us, the importance of conversation, we don't make a big deal of it. I mean, people in organizations say, well, why should we have to use this conversation or any conversation process? We always talk to each other. What Maturana is speaking about, what, what, what that we have been uh, building upon, is that by designing, consciously designing, and convening, and, and hosting, and uh, uh, harvesting uh, conversations around important questions. Yes, I'd like to, to segue back. It's a really important and significant yep. thing that you've just shared yep. there there and um, you know you talked about that people will you know kind of underestimate you know why why should we use any kind of a conversational process and I, I can't uh, begin to imagine that you've you know ever had a, a, a CFO who's actually questioned um, <laughs> you know what it is that you're really bringing to the table that you're bringing people together to talk and and um, uh, you know, why should an organization go forward with that? Yet at the same time, throughout your book, you share these powerful examples and stories of amazing results uh, that have been achieved through the World Cafe process. And I'm sure that you have, you know, hundreds of examples that have occurred since the writing of the book that you shared. I really loved the story that you, you shared about the, the Science Museum in Tampa Bay, Florida. Would you be able to recap a little bit for us about 
you know, the, the tremendous results achieved through this simple idea of conversation. Well, the, the story in the book is entitled uh, Creating a Culture of Dialogue at the Mu- Museum of Science and Industry. Uh, the leader there, a man by the name of Witta Stranko, um, uh, came in contact with the World Cafe through uh, one, of the, uh, one of the professors on Juanita's doctoral dissertation uh, on the World Cafe and began to, uh, to use it uh, with not only with uh, the board of, of the Museum of MOSI, but also with, with uh, people who were coming to the museum. They would, they would consciously engage people in conversations about the art and uh, about the science that uh, was in the museum. And uh, they started, they, they, they became so successful at it that they were able to, to actually generate ideas uh, to provide uh, large sums of money for either their budget or for underprivileged children to be able to attend the museum. Um, by, at, by sitting together and talking in a World Cafe format about uh, the possibilities, for example, of bringing uh, children with disabilities or, or the idea that, we need, that in order to expand the museum, uh, we, need to, we need to, instead of uh, shutting down the budget, I mean, close, making it tighter to raise $257,000. And they engaged uh, ideas, budgetary ideas and fundraising ideas uh, at the at the museum board level, and were able to generate very large sums of money uh, for their future. And so this idea spread to many, many museums now all over the world, actually engaging staff, um, uh, visitors to the museum, in conversation about the art and science that's in the museum. Been very, very successful approach to creating new knowledge. Again, through conversation. Um, the, the, there's, a, there's one other thought about that that I think is really important. In our culture, in Western industrialized culture, even though most of the old industrial model is gone in business, the, the, uh, there is a cultural injunction that is still very strong, and it says, stop talking and get to work. <laughs> stop talking. Kids hear it in school. Stop talking and get to work. Well, when I was working with Sanofi Aventis in, in Canada, they, they, got, they got the importance of shifting that injunction. And they started to put up signs all over their office in offices throughout Canada that said, start talking and get to work. Because <laughs> they realized that, the, that the, some of the best work was being done around the water cooler or in the cafe. So they, they set up cafes all over their organization, and many, or, and many companies are doing the same. And I'm glad so. you mentioned Sanofi because I, I wanted to talk about them as well. Um, uh, you share a, a, an amazing story. Of, you talk about you know, how this whole process of World Cafe can serve to, to really crystallize and, and bring amazing clarity to a group of people. Um, that have been on the same path together, but this is something so much beyond that. And the Sanofi example in the book I thought was so powerful, uh, how they just got this amazing, clear vision together. And I wondered if you would talk about that a little bit. Well, the, I had the privilege of meeting the, the president of Sanofi, Cynthia Labo. It's now Sanofi Aventus uh, yes. in Canada. Yvonne um, Bestien. Uh, a man from Montreal who uh, speaks both excellent English and, and uh, Spanish, and a good deal of the conversations would be in both languages. Uh, but they recognized uh, very early on uh, when we when we were designing uh, some uh, some strategic planning with the company and sitting with the, the small group of, of executives. Uh, we found out that by actually designing meetings in a cafe format, like four tables of four, and talking about what kind of a meeting we could establish for the entire company, uh, uh, Salesforce, for example, sales and marketing of over 400 people, uh, we actually designed it in a world cafe, and, and people got to feel it in their bones and their hearts. And we collectively designed a world cafe for those 400-some people uh, to talk about how we would de- how they wanted to design the future of that company relative to its its possibilities of bringing its products and services to 
to uh, ultimately to to patients uh, through doctors and hospitals throughout Canada. Um, they got so good at it that they were able to that they were they did strategy sessions uh, all over Canada all by themselves in different parts with doctors and hospitals. They also, uh, at a higher level in the organization, designed the, the, created their budgets for the for the, the following years in a World Cafe format. Uh, even doing you know the monetary work, but it it, it enabled them to start from zero. Uh, Rather than trying to build on what we what we budgeted for last year, if we were just starting the company today, what would we budget for? How would we make the most difference? Uh, where are we already making uh, influencing our our business and our culture? Um, and it, the level of caring. I mean, some people say the business people don't care, businesses don't care. That's just not true in my experience. We all get sidetracked because of the challenges of our time, but people really do care, and they really want to make a difference, and they want to serve all their stakeholders, and that was true at Sanofi. I, I was really, really impressed with, uh, you know, where they kind of came together and decided to rally around a larger mission uh, that yep. was kind of a lofty uh, mission of of actually – uh, being brazen enough to suggest that they were they were going to see to it that there would be no more strokes in the country of Canada. <laughs> just, you're you're a good reader. You're when a I, good reader, Susan. <laughs> when I read, I just loved that. I just thought, now that that's powerful. I, I could see a, a company really kind of coming together and just getting so very excited, um, and how you know, kind of getting that kind of clarity, how it could really rally um, an organization together and really get them to be of one mind and, you know, really move forward in a positive way together. I just loved it. I just thought it was great. Well, that, that, I'm delighted you that you that recalled that from, from the story. The, the way it happened is within, in the second round of, of the cafe, after they were sharing out about uh, possibilities for the future, uh, someone said one of the things we want to do is we want to reduce the number of strokes to uh, by by uh, 50% in Canada, and there was a clause in the room. And then somebody, a much younger person, stood up and he said, uh, "What we want, what we want to commit ourselves." And there, the people stood up and really applauded. What we want to do is 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 have a commitment to, to be able to serve through our products and services uh, a culture that has no more strokes or yeah. preventing strokes. Yeah, that is that really leads a company forward. And so, what kind of a policy and procedures yeah. do we need? And I think that? it's such a powerful example of the power of the cafe. And you just take those two different things as an example. You know, the fifty percent. Well, yeah, you know, that's kind of okay. I could sort of uh-huh. get behind that. But all of a sudden, when you hear a person stand up and say, "Let's go for no more strokes in the country," I, I, I could just imagine the energy that must have been present. Yeah. It must have been phenomenal. Well, there are these seven principles that are part of the World Cafe, and we're not going to get a chance, of course, to talk about all seven of them today. But um, the principles begin, you know, kind of at the very beginning with with the whole idea of setting the context. And I'm wondering, as you're you're preparing to work, um, you know, sometimes I'm sure with very complex situations, is it really easy uh, for you to get real clear about what the context is, or is it always apparent? Or um, are there other times where the context is really more related to some sort of problem and challenge that, that you're trying to reframe um, in the appreciative inquiry um, uh, approach to things, which I know is often integrated into the cafe, you're always reframing things so that it's positive. Would you, in those situations, if the context were really were related to a problem, would you leave it as a problem or would you reframe it? So is, this context piece seems to be pretty important in, in moving the whole process forward. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Okay. Well, there's two parts to your question. Um, the se- let me deal with the second part first. Um, uh, the World Cafe can be used uh, uh, to uh, establish a inquiry or a set of World Cafe conversations around questions having to do with a challenge or problem. Um, 
what we tend to do contextually in, in the design part is to is to transform the issue, the challenge, the problem into a question um, where that will evoke new possibilities. Um, so yes, the reframing the question is, is really important as part of it. But what's, what setting the context generally means is very simply asking in a design session with the people that, were, that are designing the work, whether it's a World Cafe or whatever the work is, is to, is to ask the question why and what for and what purpose or mission or uh, desired outcomes are we creating this World Cafe or other kind of, 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 of conversation or even any meeting at all. Context has to do with purpose, meaning, mission, uh, possibility. And very often, meetings and organizations start with no context set. Yeah. Um, the, we're just working on a problem. And it, it, until the sponsor, the leadership of the organization, puts skin in the game and designs with internal and external people, uh, the why and the what for of, of engaging humans, uh, people in the organization or the community uh, around questions having to do with challenges that can lead to infinite new possibilities, that is absolutely essential to the success. And it is the one, it is the one principle that is missed the most. Um, clarify the, the why, the what for, the purpose. Yeah. And design to that. And that's the other piece that's almost very often missed in designing any kind of work in organizations or yeah. communities. Design, design, design until you get it right. Yeah, it's such foundational steps. It's amazing to think that we could miss them, but we do. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I'm thinking about, you know, your typical organizational meetings and what they look like, and they look way different than a world cafe. <laughs> As you and I both know, uh, you know, you sit there in a meeting, and, and there's the PowerPoint presentation and the person talking at you um, for sometimes it seems like an endless period of time. Uh, and, of course, a cafe event is so dramatically different than that. Um, yet in the book, you talk about sometimes there is a need to do some blending. And you talked earlier, you mentioned infinite possibilities in the way you roll this um, out, uh, you know, that you just have all of these ways to be flexible and help people feel comfortable. So um, uh, could you talk a little bit about, you know, blending? Is, 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 does a blended kind of cafe meeting really achieve the results that you desire and, and is this a, an effective way of doing it for organizations? Sure. I, I, probably one of the best examples I can share is a um, at a systems thinking and action conference put on by Pegasus Communications. Um, uh, Margaret Weasley and I uh, designed a, a two-hour session uh, in which um, uh, Meg gave a shortened keynote, about uh, 20 minutes, uh, at the, and she talked about courage. She talked about evoking courage in organizations. And then she said, uh, I want, I, I'm wanting to, uh, there's a question that I have that I really would like to have you, David will help you uh, set it up in a World Cafe format. But my question is, is how do you, how do you generate or, uh, or support people in being courageous in organizations. And, uh, she, and she sat down at one of the World Cafe tables and uh, turned over the microphone to me, and, and I led a World Cafe around, a, around Meg's question. And uh, so we did three rounds of conversation. We had three rounds of conversation and a plenary, and at the end, uh, Meg came back and had listened to all the sharing from the in the plenary session and shared what she learned. And the primary uh, thing that she that she indicated that she had learned that she had heard at one of the tables and it was actually shared in the larger group is that there is no verb of courage in English. Ah. Courage is not a word. 
So how do you activate courage? Somebody said, well, what you do to activate courage in an organization is you encourage. You encourage people to, to think together, to grow together, to design together. And Meg said that was her learning, and, uh, and she was able and, 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 encouraged, and encouraged people to evoke courage in, the org- in their organizations and their work by encouraging uh, people processes toward uh, better results. So there's a hybrid where a keynote and a, and a cafe can work very well. A world cafe can work very well uh, and then have an open space session and then come back to the world cafe. Um, there are infinite ways of running world cafes. Uh, so it's, but you, there are five of the six other principles which we don't have time to mention today. They're in the book. But when people use those world cafe principles as design principles, and use them as a template for their meetings, to design their meetings, their conferences, their strategies, uh, their, cap- their, their capability in their conversations skyrocket. Uh, they're all simple principles that everyone knows, but we tend not to practice. Yeah. If we had time, it would be great to, you know, to list them um, at some time, Susan. Well, well, why don't we at least walk through the, of course, the first one is, is uh, setting the context, which we've uh, indicated. Maybe maybe you could just walk us through what those seven principles are so we have those, David. Okay. I'll, I'll just give the principle, the right. design principle, and people can either go on the website or read the book to get more. But people get it really quickly. So the first one is set or clarify the context. Second design principle is create hospitable space, a hospitable environment. The third is explore questions that matter. Very important. Fourth is encourage everyone's contribution. Uh, the the fifth cross pollinate and connect diverse perspectives. That's moving people. Six is listening together for patterns, insights, and deeper questions. And seventh, which is very often missed, harvest and share and communicate collective discoveries or knowledge. And the book just does an excellent job of, of walking us through and providing examples of specific cafe experiences that you've had that highlight how one of those principles you know, really has um, an impact on, on the outcome. And I think, uh, you know, once again, really like to encourage anyone listening to, to get a copy of this book and, of course, spend time on the website, which... Uh, is is so richly built and shared, um, you know, with anyone that it has interest in. So you definitely want to to look at that. Um, you 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 talk about uh, the questions, David, and I have to admit that you know coming up with the the questions always makes me feel a little anxious uh, because of course the questions are so important and, and the questions really. Uh, are what facilitate the result. And uh, so you, at one place in the book, are quoted by a, a member of the World Cafe community as saying that, that you have convened cafes without prepared questions in advance. I was really intrigued by that because I kind of thought that was, um, you, know, uh, you, you know, a way that you needed to, to prepare for a cafe was to have all of that in advance. But when I read this, I realized, no, once again, this is an area of flexibility of the, of the cafe. Can you tell us a little bit about how you might work with a group to generate questions kind of real time and how the results of that might compare to having had that set plan going in? Well, it's, it's hard to compare because the results are, are, are good in, in either way. The, the reason to, to, uh, to generate questions on the spot is when you've established a, a World Cafe or the conversation uh, impromptu. Um, and, people find, and people find that it's, like you say, difficult to come up with questions. Um, I, I may be oversimplifying, and some people have said this to me about what I'm about to say to you. I don't, I don't, my, it's not my experience that it's difficult to come up with good questions, uh, either in design or on, uh, on the fly. And it's, 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 to do it is very simple from my point of view, is to generally ask a couple of things. What's important to us and why do we care? That those questions were designed by Marvin Weisbord, the head of uh, Start of the Future Search uh, movement. What's, what's important to us and why do we care? 
And another that I've used a lot is what is it that we don't know that if we were able to learn about together or explore about together could create value? What don't we know that we could exp- that we might explore together in conversation, the World Cafe conversation, that when we learned about it together, learned into that 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 question or those questions could give us breakthrough value. And what it's yeah. really asking, what is it we don't know that if we did know would create value? And people, if you pose that question in your life, in your family, in your work, in your community, in your business, in, your, in our government, what it does is allows leaders or at least allows the people and the leaders to be in the not knowing rather than the knowing away from the PowerPoint, away from the, the traditional pedagogical kind of teaching, into the belief that the community knows better. The yeah. community of, of learning and practice uh, who exists throughout the community or organization has an infinite knowledge and capability that it's connected to. And when we, when we open ourselves to have that humility as leaders to ask, to tell people we don't know, we don't know this, but we believe that when we meet with you, we can learn together. So I may be oversimplifying, but uh, that's my answer to that question. And and you're not oversimplifying. And and those are, they may sound like simple things, but they're definitely not easy for many people in leadership roles, you know, to make themselves vulnerable and to be, you know, blatantly honest with a group of people that they're meeting with. Um, It's called an existential crisis. Essential or identical. Who am I if I don't know? Right. Leadership teams can acknowledge that they don't know. It's really hard for the the top leader to admit that he or she doesn't know. Agreed. Agreed. Well, you know, I I kind of like to talk a little bit about conflict um, and the fact that the world caffeine. Of the World Cafe. You can tell I'm eating some caffeine right now. The World Caffeine <laughs> could be uh, that we could convene uh, a cafe um, with people who, you know, one of the applications of this is that we could actually bring uh, groups together that, you know, are, are operating from very different perspectives and, um, you know, potentially could even be in conflict. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, how the cafe could pre- could prevent in these kinds of situations people from, you know, kind of grandstanding and, and really pushing their agenda. Um, could, do you have an example of a cafe that, that you've convened that's had situation like this and, and, you know, how the cafe kind of held everybody together in that more common bond of discovering together rather than pushing their own way? Well, I, I sort of have a lifelong um, uh, aversion to conflict. Um, so I, I, I do my very best to avoid uh, situations in which there is direct conflict and, and do my best to help the people to design a conversation to focus, focus on what we have in common rather than what we don't. But conflict can arise. And the extent, and the one example that I, that I think is a good one, I didn't attend personally, but uh, a man by the name of Mark Gerzon, who's a well-known leadership um, writer and, uh, and uh, a creative force in this field, um, was asked to convene a, a uh, world cafe in Israel uh, between um, uh, uh, Arab Israelis and Jewish Israelis uh, around questions having to do with the difficulties they're having over there. And um, uh, he was able, he was able to uh, to have a really effective World Cafe conversation around questions. What, given that we have a lot of different views and some very strongly adverse views, conflictual views, what do we, what do we, what do we embrace in common? What do we carry in common that is larger than what we, than our differences? And when it came up with what people all over the world will come up with, if you get them under the tent, whether it's a Bedouin tent or a Saudi tent or an American (laughs) tent, um, is children and the future. Uh, We do, we we agree that we want to create healthy, 
and health and well-being um, and a vibrant life for our future and for future generations and for our children. And uh, that is that is really, if you can bring that forward, um, it, it's a wonderful way of doing it. There's another quick story. Like it's very long, but I'll make it very short. There was uh, the Public Conversations Project was able uh, over a six-year period to bring together in confidential conversations between pro-life and pro-choice women, leaders of both of those movements. They met for six years and talked about, um, as a result, they talked about their problem, their challenge, their, their, their difficulty in coming to common ground. And it was all the result of a shooting in Boston that they all were offended by. And after six years, they went public in the Boston Globe, and what they said is not one of the 12 women had changed her position uh, from pro-life to pro-choice or vice versa, but every one of the women had learned to be able to articulate the position of the opposite side and to respect the other women. Wow. And they agreed They would agreed that they would be dedicated. They would be dedicated to respect of the other position and to prevent violence around the abortion issue. Wow. Uh, so it can happen. It can, and so you have to design the conditions under which it's designed. In conflictual situations, design is even more important. You've got to have you've got to have representatives of both sides or all sides in the design uh, to focus on what it is we have in common first, and then how do we engage our diversity of opinion? Yeah. Not easy. Not easy, but possible. Uh, definitely possible. Uh, power of the conversation, and uh, you know, I just uh, again applaud the the work that you do, and uh, you know, the work of the World Cafe throughout the world, all of the people involved uh, with it to help uh, heal the world and uh, you know, make more things possible for greater numbers of people in, in more positive ways, enriching our lives and organizations and those that we serve. And as we conclude our time together today, David, I was wondering if you'd be able to tell uh, our listeners a little bit about how you can support them in harnessing the power of the cafe and a little bit about your, your the services you, yourself, you, and the services that um, that you can provide. Well, I'm not going to talk about the latter because um, we're, we're mostly interested in supporting other people's work. We've been blessed with, with enough and, and thank goodness we, you know, we do have work. But what I would leave with people is the, a, a deep belief that we have that we all can become conscious that we are and are able to be conversational leaders at the World Cafe or with any other way of, of working or designing meetings. And to be a conversational leader is to remember that we individually and collectively have the capacity to design, convene, and host conversations around our most important questions. And that by designing and convening and hosting those conversations around most important questions for ourselves and our communities, we start the conversation in a way that we can collectively learn um, about possibilities uh, that will that will bring breakthrough that move us beyond uh, no problems or to, to high-level well-being, high-performance high in organizations by focusing on the power to design, convene, and host conversations around our most important questions. To identify yourself as a conversational leader in your realm of life is a way that we all can, that we all can create futures that are larger than self. Well, let's go do it. <laughs> David, I, I want to thank you again for, for taking the time to share the World Cafe with us. Uh, it's, uh, it's just been uh, really wonderful to have a chance to interact with you today, uh, having had the chance to, to be a part of a World Cafe and experience firsthand its power um, with a, a very challenged group of people that we're not seeing um, 
a situation the same way and kind of experiencing the magic of the of the cafe firsthand. And I'd encourage anyone, um, regardless of the situation, there's so many applications, and we've talked about a number of them today. Uh, the first step to explore the uh, the cafe website, www.worldcafe.com. No, no, www.theworldcafe.com. Uh, Thank you. I think I said that correctly the first time, and I dropped the the this time. I apologize. So www.theworldcafe.com. And, um, of course, the book, you know, it's titled The World Cafe, uh, can be purchased from the site, um, Amazon, any number of places. And uh, we encourage you to, to get a copy of it um, as it really walks you through the cafe process, the World Cafe process, if you're interested in that. And, of course, as mentioned before, following our interview today, you're invited to join in this conversation on um, uh, on LinkedIn uh, by uh, finding the group, which is called Bookends the Discussion. You can pose your questions there, and uh, uh, David and others uh, that are part of this group will, will join in the dialogue with you, invite your friends and your peers to participate and uh, be a part of this group. So once again, David Isaacs, thank you very much for your time today and for sharing your wonderful work in the World Cafe. Thank you, uh, Susan. I wanted to add one thing. I've had the privilege of being interviewed by many people, but you are the first person that I know for sure has read the book. (laughs) That is so distinctive because reading it, and thinking it through has really enabled us to have a really good conversation. And I well, really I, I thank you for here. that, and uh, it was my pleasure to read it. I can assure you that. <laughs> and um, I certainly look forward to um, to more work um, in the future, so please be, make sure you keep us in the loop as to um, what the next book might be. All right. <laughs> Thanks, thank David. You. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.